Hassan II. And I'm Mark LeCour. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you one more time from Tri-Bracket Inc. and Modal Point, two fantastic companies, as we've said before. Welcome in, Mr. Mark LeCour. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 70, I'm jumping all over here because we were supposed to record, I don't know, five or six hours ago? Yesterday, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't happen yesterday. It's it's funny. The people that listen think this is easy stuff, and sometimes it is, but other times it's the opposite of easy. The opposite, yeah. So I have I have having a blast with my new gear, just MacGyvering it all together to make it work has been has been a challenge. But that's what I get for listening to my friend who works on 128 channel mixing boards out in Miami. You had something you want to kick off the show with, and I'm pretty excited to kind of hear more about it. So let's talk about this email that went out to IPAA members and colleagues. Yeah, so IPAA is the Independent Petroleum Association of America, if you don't know. <clears throat> and we got an email. I'm a member, and it basically says we won. <laughs> I just loved it. And it's a story about how the uh, Bureau of Land Management has overstepped its bounds. And they've actually tried to impose federal regulations for fracking. And um, IPAA, along with um, a couple of other um, organizations, brought it to court literally the day after this was announced. And the uh, a judge, who was actually appointed by the Obama administration, so not a pro-oil and gas judge, looked at it and said it's constitutionally not the right thing to do. You do not – the um, BLM does not – or the Bureau of Land Management does not have the power – nor does the EPA to step out and, and do this sort of stuff from a um, fr- from a legal point of view. So they struck down this law, um, which which is the right thing to do. Right? It's it's I'm tired of a lot of our government reg- um, agencies overstepping their bounds. And this judge put a stop to it, which was awesome. It's awesome because I was, as you know, I listened to a whole lot of Alec Baldwin, and he had an old old episode that I was powering through his back catalog. And it was interesting because he was actually talking to a conservative in a public forum up in New York. And there was a particular point where he went off on a, on a bit of a tangent. It was kind of funny. He said, excuse me while I mug you, but, uh, and he just lost it. And it got to the point where it really reminded me, we talk a lot about this on the show where there is a group of people, very large group of people who want to regulate us out of business. And he, he made that statement, state, stated that case very concisely, unlike my ability to resummarize it right here. But he made, that, he made the case, well, we need a, a, a moon landing program for renewables, and we have, to, we have to force oil and gas out of business so that renewables are competitive. Yeah, and that's that's nothing different than what I've been saying for a while now. Is that since the and and nothing against renewables in their place, they're great. Um, and nothing against the people that work in that industry. You know, you're out there trying to make a dollar. I get it. But the way to do it properly is like we do it here in Texas. It's for profit. It's not government subsidized. Um, so it's it's you know we, we talk about this on the show where uh, the anti oil and gas movement um, is tried to put us out of business, and they can't because it touches every part of life. <laughs> And so what they're, they're trying to do now is trying to increase the cost by layering regulation and taxes on us so that 
the cost of oil and gas then is more than than renewables, and that's just wrong. Let the free market decide what works. Definitely let the markets work. I, I like this statement so much in the email from Barry Russell, president and CEO of IPAA. So shout out to Barry, Mr. Russell, and it's a quote from from Judge Scott. I didn't even try to. I, I'm just going to say Judge Scott. <laughs> Apologies. I should have practiced Scavidea, before. Scavadea. Scavadia. Scavadal. All right. We got it. Congress's inability or unwillingness to pass a law desired by the executive branch does not default authority to the executive branch to act independently, independently regardless of whether hydraulic fracturing is good or bad for the environment or the citizens of the United States. Congress has not delegated to the Department of Interior the authority to regulate hydraulic fracturing. The BLM's efforts to do so through the fracking rule is in excess of its statutory authority and contrary to law. Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Take that. Boom. Appointed by the man himself. Well, that's a little news kicking off from the home front. Everybody wants to hear us talk about Brexit. And I've do, done everything I could to prepare for this show throughout the week, as you know, Mark, and I've been sending you links. So let's just jump right into this. Oil prices plunge as Britain votes to leave EU. Yeah, you know, James, uh, before we get into the story, it's, um, you, I actually, this has been on my radar for a while, but I never did a deep dive. And you and I had some conversations that actually in the last week, I believe, has made me actually do a deep dive into this. And so um, this first article is about uh, oil pricing plunging 5%. Um, as uh, Britain uh, votes to leave the EU, <clears throat> that's to be expected. Um, all of the markets took a bit of a dive because this is a, a disruption in it. Um, if you've been on this planet for any length of time, you know what happens anytime something like this happens is that it rebounds. In fact, I, uh, as, soon as, as soon as you helped educate me and I understood what was going on, the moment the vote came through, which was um, actually, uh, today's Friday, so it was actually yesterday, yesterday, last, yeah, kind of last night, if you will. Yeah, which yeah. yeah, our time. So as soon as the stock market opened, I went out and bought all blue chip stocks. <laughs> because, I, because I know that the market was going to take a nosedive, which it did. And then I know that um, you know stocks like General Electric, uh, Visa, Walmart, Walt Disney are going to rebound. And so um, I, I, you know, I'm going to capitalize this myself personally. This 5% drop in, in the oil is, is to be expected. All the markets have taken a drop because of disruption. Now what's going to happen is this is just a market perception thing. Nothing's actually really happened yet. It's going to take, you know, 18 it's, months, yeah, two, two, years. two years to implement. Yeah. 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 So the market's going to come right back. So um, this is just a quick, uh, you know, quick and dirty article about the, the effect that this had on, on crude prices. Yeah. But like you said, the sky isn't falling. And no. anybody that's been on this planet long enough knows markets like stability. And when anything happens that throws a little concern out there, they go down and you did the right thing. <laughs> you jumped on in and, and, and started buying. Let's move on over here. Brexit, Brexit business leaders react as Britain votes to leave EU. Yeah. So this is a bunch of short blurbs from different uh, business, user, uh, business leaders um, about their opinions on the Brexit. So you have a uh, Carol Farrell banks, the uh, director of CVI um, talked about, this is a momentous point in history. The country has spoken, which is what has happened. And it's time for us all to listen. Many businesses will be concerned, which is true. Um, and but the urgent priority now is to reassure the market, which is, I mean, she's absolutely right. And then you have um, uh, Dr. Adam Marshall for the uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, acting generals. 
is um, you know firms want an immediate and a statement from the prime minister on next step, which is also true. You know this is a chance for the for Britain's leaders, both business and from a government point of view, to step up and talk about what's going to happen in the future. That uncertainty is what's causing people and businesses to be worried and be concerned. As soon as you start laying out a plan, where there then you drive certainty up, and then that that um, um, the, the, a lot of the negative stuff won't happen or won't be as big a deal. So. You want to hear, and even um, Richard Branson, who really didn't want this thing to happen, said this is a very sad decision and would do uh, you know, damage to Britain's prosperity and Europe's stability. But if you want to hear what the business leaders uh, in the UK say about this, this is a, a quick, easy read, and it's, it's, it's a good read. So I'm curious. Uh, let's jump in a little bit. Uh, oil and Gas UK, oil, uh, oil industry body, we ask that the UK government clearly outlines the process which will follow. And if you could hit on that one as well as Royal D- Dutch Shell just beneath it. So um, um, Oil and Gas UK, the industry body over there, asked the, that the government clearly outlines the process which it will follow, which is exactly what I just talked about, right? Whatever is going to happen, somebody needs to figure out the process and lead the country through this and, and do it transparently and form them. Now, um, Royal Dutch Shell, which uh, actually came out the statement that is opposite of BP's, Royal Dutch Shell said they respect the decision of the majority of the British people. And even though Shell was in favor of uh, UK remaining in the EU, they they understand the people have spoken and and they will go along with it. Um, BP, who's not in here, actually was uh, had some much more negative comments to talk about. Yeah, they were they were quite bearish on this. Yeah, quite yeah, so, bearish. Yeah, so like I said, if 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 you want to hear what the people that actually run businesses across the pond read this, definitely read that, and then we'll move over here to rig zone Brexit. Adverse impact for UK's oil gas industry unlikely. Sounds like what you've been yeah. saying. Yeah, th- this is a good article on Rig Zone. So basically, a couple of things they're talking about. One is the North Sea environment's not real robust right now, anyway. <laughs> so you know, this this in a short term will will drive the price of crude down. Um, longer term, depending on what happens, it may or may not limit investment in the North Sea. But the North Sea is not hot for investment anyway. Um, it, it is going to be interesting to see what happens as far as employment. Um, because there's rules and regulations um, out there now that affect the people that come from the UK that work in the North Sea. But once again, it's not anything you know horrendous. It's something that if some smart people sit down, put their heads together, they can figure out the right way to, to deal with that. Call me an American, but I'm always for getting. Basically, I'm always for national sovereignty and lopping the heads off bureaucrats at any chance. So I will go on record as saying I support the Brexit. I, I think even though there might be short-term pain, I think it's a longer-term gain. I think you and I, we talked about this. Switzerland's not part of the EU. They're doing all right. Um, and this is an economic show. I don't want to go too far into this. But the reason I say that is that w- we have a lot of listeners, as you know, that I think right behind Canada, the biggest, content, um, the biggest group of listeners that we have are in the UK. So if you're listening to this, we want to hear what you have to say. Hit us up in the show notes in the comment section. You can comment via Facebook or discuss. It's tribrocket.com forward slash TW70. I really, really, really want to hear from some of our, some of our UK listeners on their, their thoughts, pro, con, against it, for it. Well, however you fall, I, I'm, I want to be educated even more. Yeah, and not only just from the UK, but anywhere else in the world. Uh, um, let's know what you think because... This is going to ripple through the entire globe in some fashion, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and it's interesting, James. There's a couple of things that that this is going to spur. So 
it's going to re- re-energize the Scottish independent movement. And then for our listeners that are outside the U.S., or even for our listeners that are in the U.S. that aren't in Texas, you know, for a long time, there's been plans of Texas. Texas. Well, now it's called Texas. It's always been yeah. called secession, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, so, so Texas, for a very long time, has looked at succeeding from the U.S. And we're one of the few states that actually could, uh, from an economic point of view. Um, um, and this is going to reinvigorate that discussion here in the state of Texas as well. Yeah. So any Texans or, or anyone, just let's, let's get the comments going because it, it would be a very interesting discussion there or in the LinkedIn group, which we'll talk about later. All right, let's move on, though. From the Brexit talk, we're going to move over to the Middle East. Iraq, Kurds in Iran, I in oil deal. What's going on here, Mark? So what's really going on is um, the Kurdish government needs another market for its oil, right? Right now it's going through Turkey and hitting the global market, which means Turkey is a constraint. Turkey is a chokehold, right? The only way that their oil can get the market is through Turkey. If they go the other way and, and bring it uh, to the globe through Iran, then they have a second route to market. So Turkey doesn't have a chokehold on them. And then naturally, that route to market is probably going to be the, the whole Asia Pacific of the world. So um, they're, they're looking at doing this. So it makes perfect sense, right? If from a market point of view, to have other routes to market. The problem is, quite frankly, trying to do business in, in, in Iran. And, and um, you know, the Kurds know that. So they have to spend a lot of time making sure every single thing is in place between these two governments before they pull the trigger on it. Now, if they pull the trigger on this, it's going to help the people both in, um, in Iran and in, um, in, in the Kurdish people as well. It's going to provide jobs. It's going to raise the economy, especially for the, Kur- for the Kurds. So um, we'll keep an eye on this. It's just it's so hard to do business uh, in, in Iran right now both from a security point of view and from a, a corruption point of view that, you know, if this thing happens, it's, it's going to be a while before they actually start construction. Definitely. And I always like to put things in perspective in terms of how much is there. Iraqi Kurdistan is believed to have some of the world's largest gas reserves amounting to 5.6 trillion cubic meters. Put that in perspective for us. Whoo! That's, <laughs> that's um, I, roughly without having a calculator in front of me, that would provide all the natural gas that the U.S. uses for 90 years, 90 to 100 years. That the U.S. uses? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. A lot of gas. That's that's a heck of a lot. Heck of a lot of gas. All right. Moving over to the Hill. Overnight energy. This is actually following on a story. I think we talked about it last week, if not the week before. But... Obama signed the chemical safety reform into law. Darn it. You know, we, we, <laughs> Don't they listen to the, the show, Mark? Don't they listen? That's not the word I want to use, but we're a PG-rated show. Um, this, did not, this is not good. It did not need to happen. I was really hoping it wouldn't happen, and it did. Once again, you're, you're given the EPA um, um, new authority that it hasn't had before to oversee chemicals. That's already in place. There's laws in place right now. Um, both at the federal and state level, this is this will allow the EPA to overstep their bounds even more. Um, uh, you know, I, just darn it, this this this, <laughs> this did not need to happen. It's the first major environmental law in 26 years, updating the Toxic Substance Control Act of 1976. 26. Oh man, I was uh, well, shoot, I was 10 years old back then. Yeah, yeah, it's um. I, I, it's not a good. It's not a good thing for the for the 
U.S. population. Um, the only this only people that benefit from this is a certain portion of our political administration. So, who are the, some some of the people that they talk to in in regard to this article from the Hill? They got the independent. Yeah, it looks like we heard from the IPA talking about actually what we started off the show with. Who, who else had chimed in? Yeah. So, so this article is about a bunch of different things. So, what we talked about just now was the the chemical safety law. But then the next thing is they're talking about the same fracking rule that was overturned by the, the Obama judge. And then later on, they talk about coal leasing and um, EPA going toe-to-toe with the, the GOP. So there's actually a bunch of smaller articles in this one article. All right, perfect. Well, um, not to beat a dead horse, but it was in Fuel Fix, and let's uh, drill into it. Federal judge strikes down Obama's effort to regulate fracking. Let's celebrate one more time. Yeah, and so let, let's talk about a couple of things. So. Uh, the U.S. District Judge uh, Scott Scavaldell um, found that Congress had specifically exempted uh, from the federal relation the practice of fracking, right? So th- the issue is not whether hydraulic fracking is good, bad, and different, whatever. The issue is, um, did Congress give the Department of Interior legal authority to regulate this, which it did not do? And so the Department of Interior, specifically the BLM, overstepped its bounds, and they knew they overstepped their bounds. They knew that this was probably going to have um, so, some legal pushback, but they try to do it anyway. Now think about that. So you're having our government knowing that what it's getting ready to do, it shouldn't do, and trying it anyway to see how far they can push it. That's not the government I want running this country. Um, you know, so if, if you dig into this, you'll see a, a bit of a bigger picture. And I, and I'm not going to get into, I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but um, you know, it, it's to the point now where the EPA is is intentionally pushing on its limits and it needs to stop. And it it needs to stop politically. Um, you know, we don't get into politics, and I've said this on past shows, but one of the things that Trump said he was going to do if he gets elected is gut the EPA, and it needs to happen. It needs to happen. When, as you're talking, you know, Mr. Fulton, my son, he's, he's a good boy. He, he, does, he does well, but just a couple of days ago, he was out at the lake house. My sister's parents out, uh, I'm sorry, uh, goodness, father and mother-in-law. <laughs> parents-in-law, uh, and he kept going out with, with his cousin Grant, and they were told not to touch the water because, you know, adults need to be around, and they just wanted to touch it, and he said, well, I didn't go in. I just put my, my, my toes in, and then, I, and then next thing you know, he's, I put my ankles in, and, well, Grant went in all the way, and this doesn't sound like the acts of reasoned full-grown adults, it's reminding me of conversations I have with my son. And he's, yeah, and he's so, almost five years old. Yeah, and so, you know, I have a child too, and so when they do stuff like that, you stop them, right? You punish them in some manner of doing that, and that's what needs to happen to the EPAs. They need to be a big butt spanking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to find a really good image to go along with this, uh, with this episode, which we're going to get out post-haste, so... Everyone who's, who's wondering where the heck the show is, apologies. Um, I just spent five hours doing the MacGyver. But here we go, exclusive. Exclusive. This is something we've talked about a lot on the show as far as Shell pulling out of the shale in Texas. But here, Business Insider is saying Shell puts revamped shale arm at the heart of future growth. Yeah, it's um, so what they did is they jumped into it when it was hot and heavy, like everybody did. They realized it wasn't their core business. They sold everything. Then they, re- they looked at it again, 
and they go, I think we can do this. So they look at it from a global point of view. Now, anybody that follows me for any length of time knows that at November of every year, I come out with my business drivers or my predictions for the next year. So November of 2016, I'll come out with what the business drivers are my predictions for the oil and gas industry in 2017. One of the things I'm pretty sure is going to make that list this year is I think we're going to have a global ethylene shortage, um, which means prices will go through the roof, which means that companies that are positioned well to produce ethylene are going to make a lot of money. Well, make ethylene from natural gas. What, what's the number one thing that you produce in a frack field right now? Natural gas. What has Shell turned itself into by acquiring BG? A natural gas company. So I, I think this fits in perfectly. Uh, there's a couple of quotes in here that I think are really cool because it shows how much they had to learn. So um, when they first started um, do, drilling in Shale, um, they had about 20,000 requirements because they're used to going offshore, right, where there's this huge checklist to make sure everything's wait, done wait, right. Wait, 20,000? 20,000, 20,000. All right. All right. They've taken that technical che checklist and dropped it down to 200. Think about how much quicker they're going to be now. Before, they had to go to 20,000 line items, now only 200. The other thing they did is before, you had all these complex uh, reporting schedules and hierarchies, so there's a lot of people in the management trail. Now they're giving the frontline manager, which is, known, which is known as the company man, the guy on site, end-to-end -end control of all the, the process from exploring to production to well abandonment. So they, they've really cleaned up. They've gotten lean like, like the, the good operators are. And so it just makes perfect, perfect sense. And they're looking at this globally, right? They're not just doing this here in Texas or in the U.S., but countries like Argentina, where they have the right uh, um, geology to, to frack. So um, I, I think this fits in perfectly with their business. It is funny that they got into it, lost money, sold everything, and they're getting back into it. But it just fits in perfectly with, with what I think is coming for the future. I think this is very smart. Did they acquire any new businesses to start this new? I'm very curious about how this initiative started within Shell and how I, it got going. Yeah, so, so I, they don't talk about that in this article. I actually know what happened. So what happened is that parts of Shell's upper management said, you know what, we've acquired BG. We have that Asia-Pacific market. You know, LNG is low right now, but it's coming back. You know, we built the, the big FLNG facility. I can't remember what it's called. Prelude is what it is. Biggest, biggest in the one in the world. Let's get rid of these, these assets, these shale assets globally because it's not our core business. But some very smart people said, no, what's going on is I think there's going to be shortage of petrochemicals. We're in a position to actually, especially ethylene, we're in a position to actually capitalize on that for a super major. So we need to invest in it, but we need to learn how to do it right. So they put together uh, basically two SWAT teams to figure out what they need to do to be effective. And they, like I said, they, they went out and, and got rid of stuff that kept them effective, like a 20,000 line item <laughs> checklist. Um, so this is, this is, this is going to be really cool to see what happens for them now and in the, in the future. Yeah. 20,000. That is, that is a high, high number and getting more lean. But as you're speaking, all I can think is, gosh, the people who work in this industry are geniuses. Gosh, they they're are. geniuses, visionary geniuses. Yeah, they really are. And, um, you know, all of the, all of the large oil and gas companies, um, have a think tank of some very smart people that do nothing but look out to the future and try to predict what's going on. And, you know, we do that, James. At, at Modal Point, we do that as part of our core business. But some of the stuff these guys come up with, I don't see it coming. I was like, that is the craziest idea I've ever seen. And then three years later, something will happen. It's like, oh, my God, they were right. But how did they see that? And so, the, yeah, you're right. The other point that I think is, is a great one to bring up, unlike multi-billion dollar deep water projects, shale can be turned on, quote, with the drop of the hat. And that's, that's so yeah. true. You can just... I mean, at this point, we know the geology so well, the best practices are out there. 
and it's it's nothing like going offshore. And it's getting better and better and better. I um, you know, we we're talking earlier about how starting to set up uh, interviews for Summer Nape, and one of the companies I'm going to interview has figured out a way to automate almost everything in the shale fields. How cool is that? Like, there's no people working on those on, on those fields anymore. It's all automated. Um, and so I I don't know exactly what it is because I haven't interviewed them yet. But when you hear stuff like that, it's like, man, that is so cool. Yeah, there's there uh, again geniuses, geniuses. All right, back to uh, the back to the debate and just some more uh, you know chest pounding for us, I guess. Anti fracking movement reeling as quote scare tactics fail to resonate from the Washington Times. Yeah, so it, this is actually really cool. What's what's happening is that the anti-fracking movement um, picked up a whole bunch of steam when it all first started, playing on people's fears and uncertainties. And so um, what's happening is people, because laws didn't get passed or because people are starting to learn the truth, the um, anti-fracking movement, their scare tactics aren't working as well, which is exactly what we need to have happen. And I will say this much, James, a part of that, owes itself to social media and the very small percentage of oil and gas companies very that, small that get it that understand how to use social and they're doing it um and so uh, this is this is what needs that happen you know I, I say this all the time i don't talk politics i don't talk opinion i talk facts and what's happening is the anti-fracking movement it doesn't know how to deal with facts no which is good no and 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 you're pretty good. You actually enjoy a good Twitter exchange with someone who doesn't. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I take great pride in making other people look stupid. <laughs> when, when, but I don't do it from – I don't get emotional. I don't get mad. I don't talk politics. It's just facts. Um, and, and, but I do take great pride for people that want to argue with me, especially on social media where there's you know, 500,000 people paying attention. And they say something really stupid. And I just point out the fact and they look like an idiot. But it's their own doing. It's their own doing, and it's just like a, a comedian dealing with a heckler. If you let them talk long enough, they're just going to hang themselves. You just got to give them enough rope. You yeah. just got to give them enough rope. And the other thought that I was having, you, you were talking about the small percentage of people and companies who understand social. I cannot wait over the next year, two years, three years, getting more and more. Just think about what the possibility could happen in terms of public opinion if all of these companies, not even just the majors or, or just the small guys, but let's say mid-major and above, if they activated all of their employees across social media as industry advocates. Yeah, so uh, that would be unbelievably impactful, um, but let's not rule out the super majors, like maybe the biggest super major. You and I have something in the works, so that kind of touches all that. Yeah, Can't talk about yeah. it now, top secret. Yeah, we might hint at it in a future article. I am really curious to hear your thoughts on this other one. Uh, it's countercurrents.org, whether or not anything is agreeable with the rest of the stuff. This is a very interesting read, and, and I want to hear your take on it. The real oil limit story, what other researchers have missed. Yeah, so I, I love this. I, I don't exactly agree with everything, um, but he's absolutely right that our peer-reviewed academic she, system— We've got to give her a shout-out. It is Gail. Oh, she. she. Oh, right. She, she's absolutely right where, where she says our peer-reviewed academic system is not telling the real story, and that's actually true. Um, you see that in a lot of things. You see that in, in um, whether man's contributing to climate change, right? Because most of the academia is left-wing, 
the people that want to talk about the truth, the facts, never get a chance to be heard. So, of course, the public only hears that stuff from the left side. They can't get their, they can't get their studies funded. They can't get their studies funded. And, they, and, it's, and, it, and it goes on and on and on. Now, uh, there's a couple of things in here. So most, most of the data in here, are, all of the data in here is real. I'm not going to dispute any of that. I like where a lot of this stuff goes. There's a couple of things I don't quite agree with for different reasons. I'm not saying that she's wrong. I just Let's, don't quite let, agree with give me, give me one or two data points that are at least interesting to you um, because I, I, I gave this a thorough read, and, and I'm, I'm, there's, there's this whole return on energy and all these different things. So what are some of the things that you see? So she's, one of the things that she talks about is supply tends to rise as prices rise. That's absolutely true, right? So think about oil. When oil is $100 a barrel, it's very easy to go find new fuels and go into production. But it's a cyclic um, part of the economic drivers because if it gets too high, then people can't afford it, which then comes back and negatively affects that cycle. So, but, but she's absolutely right about that. And, it's, and when she gets into the whole um, – world energy consumption, and she starts comparing uh, elite workers, the wages of elite workers to non-elite workers is where I start to lose some of this because the balance that she's trying to, um, to apply there, it, it doesn't really work in most economic models. And the problem with, with um, economic theory is that you can't test it, right? It, it wouldn't be good for me to go to, to um, Australia and mess with their, the amount of currency they're printing to see if it really does cause inflation, not, right? You don't, you don't go experiment with real economies so the with economics it's always you're looking behind your shoulder and you're trying to analyze that past data and and things like supply and demand and marginalism and opportunity costs and budget constraints and blah 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 it's really really complicated when you start looking at something as small as a family like me and my family right if you did budgetary model me and my family it's actually harder than you think it does but when you move it to an industry such as the oil and gas industry. In her case, she's looking at the entire energy industry. Then it gets really hard to model. Um, but like I said, I, I, this is, I love this article. It's a great read because it's somebody that's not typical academia coming at it from a different point of view. Yeah, that's, the, the, that's why I loved it so much. All right, we hinted at something that we're going to hint at a little bit more. Let's cap things off with Fortune, the 20 most generous companies of the Fortune 500. There might be some oil and gas companies on there, and maybe one that that you're pretty excited about talking to. Yeah, it's a, this is a great article. I, I'm glad you found this. Um, this is talking about the companies that um, basically donated the most money in the U.S. Um, and and when you know you read through it, it's companies that you would think of, you know, Walmart and um, Wells Fargo and everything. But when you get down to number five, it's Exxon Mobil. ExxonMobil, uh, 2015 cash contributions, 268 million. That is a lot of money. Yeah, I'd like to find one anti-oil and gas company that's contributed a tenth of that. Right. Not not even 50 percent, a tenth of that. Yeah, right. And then who's number six? Chevron, our our buddies at CVX. You know, and they gave out 225 million dollars. Um, this industry cares, right? You don't give away a quarter of a billion dollars of your stockholders' revenue unless you really mean it, right? Unless your heart's really in the right place, like you're trying to do good stuff. Um, we've had this discussion recently, you and I and me and other people, but a lot of people may not know, um, Exxon spends more money to fight malaria than anybody, anybody. Anyone. Right? Anyway, Chevron spends more money to fight AIDS than anybody, right? If, when the AIDS virus gets licked, it's going to be because of Chevron. 
uh, when malaria gets licked, it's because of Exxon. And they don't talk about that ever. They don't hawk their own horn. They don't use it in marketing or public relations. They do it because it's the right thing for them to do. So, um, and the rest of the list are, are a bunch of other good companies. I just want to state, you know, Bank of America's in there, J.P. Morgan Chase, um, uh, Google's in there, City. I'm sorry, Google's. Yeah, Google's in there, Citigroup's in there, uh, Microsoft. So there's a bunch of good companies. And hats off to all these companies, whether oil and gas or not, for donating money and trying to make this world and this planet a better place. Yeah, yeah. We always talk in America, not we, but the general population always talks about the 1% and so forth. And you go and look at, at what those people actually do with the money they have, it's pretty, it's pretty staggering. And they, they might not uh, put, you know, be screaming it from the mountaintops, but we might be screaming it from digital platforms someday. Stay, stay tuned, right, Mark? Yep, stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right, Weekly Onion, this is not going to get Mark to laugh, and, and I'm not even trying, but for anyone who likes to laugh at Derek Rose, and have a good time around all of his injuries. He is moving away from the Chicago Bulls. So the Onion of the Week actually is a compilation of all the great articles they've written about Derrick Rose. A look back at Derrick Rose, the Chicago Bulls' all-time greatest patient. And I have been so fired up about our events on deck, the one that we have for this week, the fourth annual Cybersecurity for Oil and Gas Summit. But I am actually going to be in Dallas next week, so I'm not going to be able to make it, Mark. Yeah, and and going with my total transparency thing, I forgot to reach out and get a press pass for myself. I've just been so busy, so I won't be there either. So anybody that goes, give us a report. Let us know how good it was. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's the fourth annual cybersecurity for oil and gas summit. It's out there at the Double Tree here in Houston. And yeah, like I said, I'll be up there with Enzymatica EOR in Dallas. Shout out to Olivia and Lucas. Looking forward to getting, getting to work with those guys. And I just uh, edited an interview I did with them. It's not out yet, but I edited it at least. <laughs> yeah, they came straight from your interview right over. We did some whiteboard, uh, did some things on the whiteboard, and we're, we're going to roll up our sleeves and, and, uh, and get them ranking in Google. All right, this is the last call for the first Friday Q&A, Mark. Yeah, come on, people. Want to know something? Want to know what we think about Texit? <laughs> Texit. <laughs> Or anything else that has anything to do with the oil and gas industry, reach out. Um, um, and, oh, James, I've been meaning to say this for like three episodes. I keep forgetting. So James really wants to hear a voicemail, and I keep trying to direct you to his website to press the red button. But if you have a smartphone, put your headphones in, record your question, and then just email it to James. Yeah, you can that's do that as well. a great idea. Yeah, voice, uh, the voice um, memo, right? Yeah, and so you have no excuse. Look at the phone you have in your hand right now that you're listening to this podcast on. <laughs> Give James a voicemail question. Uh, I shouldn't say voicemail. Record a question uh, in the audio and send it to James. Um, any questions that we read on the air, you'll get a big shout out. Um, and like I said, this is people look forward to this uh, uh, first Friday QA probably more than anything else. And, and we look forward to it too. Definitely. Definitely. And we look forward to having y'all join us in the LinkedIn group. We're, we're, we're getting close to 1,200. We just continue to grow. And so thank you to everyone who has joined. And if you haven't, tell them why they should, Mark. Because we have a bunch of really cool stuff coming out. I mean, a bunch of cool stuff. Um, and the Like, I've lost really... count of how much cool stuff, Mark. <laughs> yeah, we actually have an Excel spreadsheet going, James and I, because they used to keep track of all the stuff that we're doing. But the LinkedIn group is where you'll find out about it first. And some of the stuff we have going on is super cool and very exclusive, such as maybe only 30 or 35 people will be invited. 
you know, we have over a hundred, hundred, how many downloads do you have now, Jay? 157,000. We get two to 3,000 per episode. Yeah. Yeah. So you're competing with 157,000 other people. If you want to get ahead of them, join the LinkedIn group. And then it's also a great way for you to interface with your peers. If you have questions, if you want contacts, you want you know, somebody to, to, to look at what you're doing and give you some feedback, do it on a LinkedIn group. It's our oil and gas family, yeah. which, by the way, it's not called um, This Week in Oil and Gas. It's called the Global Oil and Gas Network for a reason. Oil and Gas Global Network, OGGN. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Oil and Gas Global Network. Yeah, Oil and Gas Global Network. I, oh, man, I don't know if I can find him quick enough. Um, but shout out to our member of Oil and Gas Global Network who called me on the carpet for not getting um, the episodes uploaded to, oh, yeah, here he is right here. It's, oh, goodness, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> it's Danielle Cassandi. Not, not too bad. Yeah, Danielle Cassandi, uh, please upload the missing episodes to SoundCloud and YouTube. And I told him I'll be all over that this weekend. And thank you for, for that, Daniel, because it actually just helps her search engine ranking. So I need to be on top of that. So thanks for that. And moving on to reviews. That was a great segue right there. Great segue. <laughs> just falling apart. All right. Reviews. We got two of them, Mark. We actually picked up seven ratings. So people opened the app and gave us a five-star rating. Those don't count as well for SEO purposes as the reviews. But if we get to 100, we're going to give them a week off. Let's give them a week off, right, Mark? Are we at 100? We're not there yet. We're at 99. I, I'd actually, I didn't look today because I put, put these uh, questions together. Let me, let, me check in, let me check into this real quick. Wait, wait, Mark. We did it. We hit 100 ratings. We hit 100 ratings. So we're actually, take it easy on the fellas this week. Take it easy. Yeah, so we won't even pitch you on it. You want to read the reviews that we got? Yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. All right, so we got, and this is how easy it can be. I can't stop but pitching. But PLJ080591, five-star review, good stuff. Yeah, that's all we need, people. That's, that, that's need. fine. Yeah, it's awesome. And then from Moonrock, Moonrocks, Inc. Are they selling Moonrocks? Interesting. Great resource, five stars. I've been listening to this podcast for a few weeks now. It is informative and engaging. I learn something new with every cast, and I will continue to listen. This is a great resource for busy oil and gas folks who want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Hey. Yeah. It could even be that. Just copy what we say. Just go to the show notes, triberocket.com forward slash TW, insert number, and you could just you know copy and paste from the, from the show notes. But yeah, we, we got those two reviews, and since I looked last night, we picked up a new rating. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna give everyone a break, and I'm not gonna ask Mark to 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 sell you hard. <laughs> Although we do appreciate the reviews, all right. We do really appreciate. Them. <laughs> we do really appreciate them. All right. If you have any comments about the show that you heard today, as we said earlier, we really would love to hear from y'all about the Brexit. And in in, I don't like tech text it. Let's call it secession. <laughs> that's what it that's what it needs to be. This is really Texan. All right. But you can always go, as I said, tribrocket.com forward slash TW show number. This one is TW70, TW70. You can leave any comments, any questions, especially for the first Friday Q&A next week. And if you made it this far in the show and you enjoyed it, or if you hated it and you just want to annoy one of your friends, you can share it with them. Um, go to tribrocket.com forward slash share LI. Get you straight to LinkedIn to share the show forward slash share TW for Twitter and forward slash share FB for Facebook. Got anything else to add, Mark? 
uh, no, ready to get out of here? Let's do it. This for two days. <laughs> yeah, it only took us two days to get this done. So let's go. All right, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. You've got the review in front of you. Why don't you read the first one? Blind. Um, so, uh, uh, from PLJ. <laughs> let me let me tee that up again. Let me let me tee that up again. <laughs>